I did have ambitions of doing this podcast from beautiful Black Butte Lake out in the foothills. And I actually drove up there, plugged the SpaceX Starlink receiver into one of the bathrooms. You can imagine what I was dealing with in there. These are the things that I do to do a real world test. I tried it out there. It did not react well. And I couldn't tell if it just needed time to settle in or if it was the methane. (laughs) Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We are coming to you from Seattle, or at least John's coming to you from Seattle. I'm coming to you from California, which I can explain why later on. We get to report each day on what's happening around us in technology, business, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere, and every week on this show, we talk about some of the most interesting stories we get to cover. Later on, we're going to talk about your home state, John, and their effort to poach people in our backyard, and why the population trends are changing, all of those interesting dynamics as a result of the pandemic and remote work. And are we going to reveal the finalists in one of the categories of the GeekWire Awards later on? Only if you want to, Todd, but this is like a March Madness bracket. So you can imagine the excitement building out there in the community. We're giving a little sneak peek in one of the categories in the GeekWire Awards. Excellent. So stick around for that. But in the meantime, if folks want to find out more about the GeekWire Awards, they're coming up on May 12th and they can go to geekwire.com slash awards. Is that correct, John? That's right. Stick around for that later on. But first, I am coming to you not only from California, John, but through a SpaceX Starlink satellite as we speak. This audio that you are hearing right now is going from my mouth, through this microphone, down the cord, into the computer, out to the back porch of my parents' house on top of the shed, back up into a SpaceX Starlink receiver slash transmitter up into space, up into space, low earth orbit, and then back down to you in Seattle. How crazy is that? It's just nuts when you start to think about that. It's actually working. It is. I thought you said you weren't going to be able to pull off this trick. Well, I ended up pulling it off because I came back home. I tried to do it from the lake, which I can explain why that didn't work, which gets into some of the limitations of Starlink. But for folks who don't know what this is, I've been testing it out here in rural Northern California, where I grew up for about the past week. It is SpaceX's broadband satellite service. Elon Musk launched this in beta quite a while back. He's been steadily improving it, adding more satellites. And I have to say my experience so far is much, much better, more reliable than many of the initial reviews of the first Starlink dish and the service when it first debuted. I think that the addition of those satellites is really making a big difference over time as evidenced by the fact that here we are on a video call I'm on Starlink alone, and it looks super clear. I've been getting anywhere from 100 to 150 megabits per second down, and frankly, anywhere up to 8 megabits per second up, which is about twice as much as I end up getting on my parents' home internet, which is through Xfinity, Comcast. 
this to me is starting to look like a real viable option for people, especially in remote areas who have very limited options in terms of internet connectivity. Now, it does have some downsides, which I can talk about, but so far, at least this week, I've been pretty impressed with Starlink. And of course, this is made in Redmond, Washington, just around the corner from where you are right now, John. And ultimately, it will be a competitor to Amazon, which is developing Project Kuiper from Amazon Web Services that will be launching its first satellites later this year, so somewhat behind Elon Musk. What do you think? Well, it's working, so that's great (laughs) news for you and for our podcast listeners. I'm just thinking we should be on this podcast for 45 minutes to an hour, maybe two hours, three hours, because I want to see what happens when you move between satellites. Have you noticed any leakage there when you transfer satellites and the connection drops? Actually, there's a couple things I should say on this front. First off, if you literally move the dish around to different locations on your property, which I've been doing just as a little bit of a test, it takes it a little bit of time to adjust and to reconfigure and to kind of get itself oriented back toward the satellite trains. It's actually interesting. The first thing that turned me onto this was last summer, I was driving up into the driveway at night, looked up into the sky, and there was this line of bright lights moving across the sky. And of course, my initial reaction was, finally, the aliens have arrived, right? I mean, naturally, that's what anybody thinks when you're out in the boondocks and you see something like that. But it, in fact, was a Starlink SpaceX train of satellites. And so that was one of the things that made me initially order this last summer and then be completely surprised when it actually showed up six months later and all of a sudden was on my GeekWire credit card, therefore uh, motivating me to test it out. (laughs) Well, we should speak about the credit card. How much does this cost? The initial setup. How much is GeekWire paying for your little experiment (laughs) down there in California? Exactly. I know. Um, The initial cost at the time was $500. It might've been $499 or something like that for the base station. Yeah. for the equipment. Then thereafter, it's a $100 monthly fee, or it was at the time. And I say at the time on both of these things, because SpaceX just this week announced a price increase for people who are ordering it new, it will be closer to $600. And for anybody who has the service, the monthly fee will go to 110 Now, the nice thing is that you're not on a contract you can stop the service at any time. And within a certain window, you can get a refund of some amount on the equipment. And I think it's up to a year or so. You can get some of your money back on the equipment. So they're not locking you in like you would if you were doing, for example, a two-year contract on a long-term broadband plan with AT&T or somebody like that. And it sounds like you can take it with you. Like well, it's portable to a degree, it sounds like. To some extent, you can. and. I've been testing this out. So technically, officially, they have not enabled roaming. You are tied to a specific address here in the US. The issue is that you can take it someplace else. For example, I drove over to Chico with it and tried it at my sister's house and it worked fine. And you had to reset it up. You had to put the base station back up and that was pretty easy to do. It's super easy. It's basically like a dish and a cord and a modem and an electrical outlet. So you're saying I could do it? Maybe. 
Yeah, Not because sure. I know I'm still <laughs> troubleshooting my mic issues here. Uh, Technically, you're not supposed to be able to take it to another address, but I've been able to make it happen. Now, I will say I did have ambitions of doing this podcast from beautiful Black Butte Lake out in the foothills. And I actually drove up there this afternoon, plugged the SpaceX Starlink receiver into one of the bathrooms at Buckhorn Recreation Area. You can imagine what I was dealing with in there. So these are the things that I do to do a real world test. (laughs) I guess we could do our cloud paper analysis here while we're at it, right? No, no, no. There there you go. Bring it all together. I tried it out there. It did not react well. And I couldn't tell if it just needed time to settle in or if it was me straying too far. The methane. <laughs> I To be clear, I ran the cord out of the bathroom okay. and I had the dish on top of my parents' minivan. I got a great picture of the dish with Black Butte in the background. So I am not sure whether that was because I was too far away from my designated location or if it was just that I needed to spend more time out there waiting for it to settle in and find the satellites. It went in and out. At one point, though, I got like 95 megabits per second down out there in the boonies, which for folks who know rural broadband, I mean, that shows you the promise of this thing. How does it compare to your internet service in Seattle? I think you're on CenturyLink now, right? I'm on CenturyLink gigabit internet for 75 bucks a month or 79 bucks a month or thereabouts. And so that shows you just how much better things are in urban areas still. And that CenturyLink deal, I'm still kind of baffled as to how I got that. It was not a promotion or anything. I, I'm i not questioning it. I don't want anybody to examine that at CenturyLink. Uh, Lumen, I guess, is what they are now. But at any rate, this to me is a viable option here, especially for folks who can't get Xfinity, AT&T, They're out on the outskirts of rural communities across America. And one of the reasons this is interesting is because we have seen such an explosion in remote work and flexibility and people able to go and work wherever they want. And when you add something like this, that creates a real possibility of being able to do real work and Zoom calls as we're doing essentially right here. Now, here's the thing though. If you were to try to sign up for this today, you would not be able to get it until roughly 2023, at least in the area where my parents live. So the backlog of Starlink orders is pretty significant. They said it was in part because the area is saturated. I don't know if that's the case everywhere, but 2023 is a long time to wait for internet service. Well, this is also playing a role globally. I mean, you see the Starlink satellites playing a role in the Russian war in Ukraine. So it it has a lot of applications. Yes. And to be clear, it's not playing a role in Russia's war. It's playing a role in Ukraine's defense. Let's make make that clear. So Elon Musk sent a bunch of dishes out there and enabled the service in Ukraine for mobility. So roaming, at least reportedly, is much easier to do in Ukraine. The type of thing I was trying to do out at the lake, if you're fleeing Kiev. Uh, if you're in that unfortunate situation, there's the potential at least, and I'm sure it's with governmental and NGOs and that sort of thing, to use something like Starlink to provide connectivity in a place that you wouldn't normally get it and to move around back there. And 
eventually they'll enable that roaming capability in other places too. It's kind of the RV person's dream, the RVer's dream, right? You just sort of put it on top of the camper and work from the boonies. It would be pretty cool. Yeah. And then forget about it and drive under a bridge and rip it right off the top. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say the installation, you asked about that, John, it is actually super easy, super easy. I mean, you would take it down and put it up. And if somebody really wanted to, although I'm not sure why they would want to do this, but if they really wanted to, they could even use it from Ohio. And we're going to talk about that coming up next. You're listening to GeekWire and we'll be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. It's the GeekWire podcast. It's good to catch up with you, John. We've had a bunch of interesting guests on recently, and you and I haven't had a chance to catch up. So it's good to see you. And you are the representative Ohio native on this show now and forever, really. Proud to represent the Buckeyes. <laughs> well, maybe not so much. <laughs> it was in the news. It was in the news with this kind of quirky ad campaign that plays into all of these trends that we're talking about in terms of the newfound flexibility. Tell us about this campaign and this ad that your home state is doing and how it's targeting Seattle. Well, they're actually targeting Seattle and a number of other coastal cities and tech hotbeds with the idea that everything is fantastic and glorious in Ohio which <laughs> having grown up there and spent my first 18 plus years there, you know, it's an ad campaign. So they have a lot of liberty to, uh, you know, accentuate maybe the positive and downplay the negative. But essentially they are making the case that people in the tech industry should consider Ohio. And they're doing so in kind of a mocking way of, people that live in places like Austin or Seattle. One of the ad campaigns features a guy from Austin who basically relocated to Ohio because he got outbid on so many homes in Austin and couldn't afford to live there. The Seattle ad is a little more complex. I actually had to watch it a couple times to like really get it. You know, it's like, you know, there's some interesting sarcasm in there. It features a fellow by the name of Yuchi, who is uh, from Seattle, apparently in Ohio for the purpose of checking out their tech scene and exploring venture capital opportunities, which that just seemed really strange. I mean, I've covered the tech and venture capital scene in Seattle for 25 years, and I've never heard of one person ever going to Ohio to get venture capital. I mean, sure, New York, Texas, Bay Area, even Oregon. Ohio, I've, I've just never heard of it. So it was just the concept of the ad was very strange. I'm just here to network in the tech scene. A lot of VC money on Ohio, but I'm going back to Seattle soon. Ohio denial is real. My office in Seattle is sick. I've just been working from home for like two years now, and I realized I didn't 
really know why I was living there anymore. They always come around to Ohio in the end, even the tech bros. But I guess it's to make this connection that he'd just be better off in Ohio than in his home office in Seattle. Now, I would maybe dispute that. So it, it's a cheeky campaign. I mean, tying into the bigger issues, though, we are seeing this. We're seeing the state of Arkansas, which is making a big advertising play right now to attract tech workers. And really, this is in part because everything's kind of in play right now. I mean, people are migrating. They're moving. They're reevaluating their lives in, a, in this pandemic world we're living in. And people are more mobile, you know, thanks in part to things like Starlink, but also, more importantly, just a re- remote work or hybrid work environment. And so states are taking the opportunity to play on the high costs and some of the problems that are happening in some of these coastal cities. And Ohio is uh, one of those that is stepping to the forefront. One other quick side note, I did note in my story on this that the weirdness of why somebody would go to Ohio for venture capital and their tech scene, I, I went back and I looked at the statistics from the Venture Monitor report for 2021. And Ohio is, you know, it's it's doing okay when it comes to venture capital dollars. It had 2.3 billion last year across 181 deals. Do you know how much Washington State had? Yes, because I'm looking at your story. You're looking at the story. $8.5 billion across 549 deals. The other thing to note here is Ohio has about 4 million more people than Washington State. So it's a weird claim to make that somebody goes to Ohio for the tech scene and the venture capital money. Yeah, I thought the creative execution and frankly, the script and the entire vision, that ad should probably be scrapped is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) And we should say it's set in like a therapy session. And so you have somebody from New York and Texas and Seattle and Boston and what, and they're all in this, like they're on a basketball court because it aired during March Madness, the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And they're, they're, you know, they're trying to like say, oh, these people are all on therapy because they've been so harmed by the cities in which they've lived for the past few years. Uh, it's it's kind of lame, actually, the more I talk about it. It's like, <laughs> screw you, Ohio. <laughs> you know? I mean, come on. They're passing around some kind of bowl with something in it. Have you Did you notice this in the campaign, John? Well, weren't there like well, chips or something? I don't know. I, I wondered, are, were those Buckeyes? Do you eat Buckeyes? How, how, well, uh, no, Buckeyes? no. Buckeyes, I, they actually might be poisonous. Um, Buckeyes are a nut. <laughs> But what, yeah. the Buckeye that you do eat, there's a delicacy that is made. And my mother-in-law is the specialist on these. She makes a fantastic Buckeye little cookie treat at the holidays, which is essentially a peanut butter ball encased in a little chocolate. And it's called a Buckeye because it looks like a Buckeye nut. And it's just it's just delicious. But it's not – it's a fraud. Well, it's, it's sugar and peanut butter and chocolate. It's not a, it's not a hard nut. so yes i guess um but anyway i i I didn't think i'd be talking about the buckeye treats here uh there there is a bigger trend here todd and it ties into one of your stories this week because we saw some census data come out as it related to washington state king county and seattle and the population increases or decreases by county in washington state and it kind of plays into these trends that people are 
mobile, moving around. And King County, where Seattle is located, actually had what was a 20,000 person drop in population, which is pretty rare for a county that's been growing as fast as it has in the past decade, like like King County. What were your thoughts on that? And what was the time period? So the time period was an estimate from July of 2020 to July of 2021. And as you said, the population decline was pretty modest. It was about 20,000 people fewer over that time period. It's a really weird time to measure, but... Yep. But that is, of course, net decline. So that takes into account people coming and going. And and in the end, there were 20,000 fewer people here. And as you say, it's all the more remarkable because of the just meteoric growth that King County, Seattle, Bellevue have seen largely because of the tech economy over the prior decade. So in that way, any decline is noteworthy, even if it is about a third of 1%, which compares to about 2.5% decline in the Bay Area, for example, over the same time period. Right. LA, New York, Bay Area saw much, much steeper drops. Now, I'm not going to sit here and declare that Seattle's the next Cleveland or Detroit, whose population bases have just been decimated in the last 40 or 50 years. I think this is a bit of an anomaly. You still see a lot of importing of tech talent into Seattle companies are growing rapidly here. I think it's partly due to that pandemic timeframe where people were more mobile. I just don't think, I, I, what I'm saying is I don't think this is a lasting trend as it relates to Seattle. And But some people in Seattle might say it's, you know, like, I mean, you look around at the growth we've had, it's not sustainable for 10, you know, the 10 years. A lot of people are probably like, you know, this is a good thing. You know, we needed a, needed a breather here because the infrastructure is just not keeping up. So, I'm sure there's some people that look at that. And I know a lot of people in the business community are always like growth, growth, growth at no cost, but you know, pumping the brakes isn't the worst thing as long as it doesn't end up like a Detroit or Cleveland. What I took away from it in part was that you're seeing nearby counties increase their population pretty significantly over the same time period. I thought this was really notable and probably speaks more to the tech trends Snohomish County to the north, wherever it is, they saw their population go up by about 4,200 people over the same time period. And in Whatcom County, which is home to Bellingham, their population went up by about 1,500 people over the same time period. You have to imagine that a lot of those were folks migrating from Seattle north. And to be clear, there's a lot that affects these numbers. It's not just migration of the existing population, it's births and deaths it's all sorts of different trends of people immigrating from outside the country. And of course that has declined dramatically. So, well, especially during the period you were looking at, because you could, I mean, we were looking at a period when borders were essentially frozen. So there was almost, I'm guessing there was almost no immigration happening uh, just because of the COVID situation. So that shuts off a big part of the population increase or, and probably attributes to the decrease. One thing that struck me, Todd, in looking at the map on your story was the state of Idaho. And mm-hmm. you can look at it. It's just basically the color of growth is green in the chart. Yep. And the entire state is almost entirely green. I mean, it's just like, I think there are a lot of people that have chosen to go to places like Boise, Bozeman, Montana, which is like all green. If you look at the counties that include Bend, Oregon, 
we talked about Whatcom County and, and Bellingham. I was on a podcast this week and I called them the four B's around kind of on the periphery of the big cities of, in the Northwest of Seattle and Portland It's Bellingham, Bend, Bozeman, Boise. Now I was on the podcast. I was, I was on the webinar with the mayor of Bellevue. You know what she said? She said, it's the five B's Bellevue too. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Which is a whole nother, that's a whole nother trend line uh, in terms of migration to Bellevue, you know, the what, six miles over the, over Lake Washington. Of course, the data that we're looking at is for King County, which includes both Seattle and Bellevue. I have not looked at Seattle specific data, but that would be an interesting follow-up perhaps. Coming up next, let's reveal the finalists in the category of next tech Titan for the GeekWire Awards. A little bit of a sneak peek to whet your appetite for the competition to come. That's coming up next. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook, and it's time for a preview of one of the categories in the upcoming GeekWire Awards. John, I can imagine that there are folks out there who have no idea what the GeekWire Awards are, even though these are, what, like the 30th year now? (laughs) Not 30th. I think we're actually in the 14th year. They actually predate GeekWire. Well, the GeekWire Awards are the biggest award show for the Pacific Northwest tech and innovation community. We've hosted them with GeekWire running it for about 12 years, and now we are bringing the event back in person because we've been in COVID lockdown for two years. So May 12th at the Showbox Soto in Seattle. And it's a really fun event because the community just rallies behind it. And it's a great place to showcase the top innovators, entrepreneurs, educators. We've got a STEM Educator of the Year Award, nonprofits. We've got a Geeks Give Back Award. So we've got a great mix of folks that we're celebrating across the larger tech and business ecosystem here. We are actually going to formally announce all of the finalists. We have roughly five finalists in each category. That's formally getting announced on Monday. But for our awesome podcast listeners, we thought we'd give a little sneak peek here on one of the categories, which is one of the biggest Next Tech Titan presented by our partners at Fuel Talent. And for people who have not followed this in the past, the way this works is we solicited nominations from the community. We took suggestions from the GeekWire team. Those were then passed along through a judging process with the help of people across the community who helped to judge that. And now what we're about to do is to start opening it up for community voting across all of these categories in advance of the naming of the actual winners, May 12th at the GeekWire Awards. So next tech titan, John, what is this category about? Well, this really does kind of recognize the companies that are some of the fastest growing, most heavily funded 
companies in the Northwest that really are maybe poised to be the next public company out of our region. I, I won't say maybe the next Microsoft or Amazon, because I think those are just anomalies, but, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe there is one in this bunch. I'm sure the founders and investors in these companies want that to be the case, but they're, they're growing very fast, raised a lot of money. They're in big markets and are doing quite well. So that's the next tech Titan category. So I'll contrast with that, with our startup of the year category, which is earlier stage companies just emerging, kind of breaking out. So these companies typically in Next Tech Titan, they've got revenue, they've they've got pretty decent sized staffs, and you know, trying to take advantage of big markets. Without further ado, I feel like we need a drum roll. The five finalists are Octo ML. This is a University of Washington spin out. Todd, I think you're somewhat familiar with these folks. That's right. The whole idea is to help companies deploy machine learning models across a variety of different hardware configurations. So this is really about bringing the fundamentals of AI to more settings. And as you said, this was a University of Washington spin out. And one of the examples of how some of the most successful and promising startups right now are focusing heavily on enabling the components of AI. And I'll give a little backstory on the judging component here. Uh, we had a great group of judges that helped us sort through. OctoML is a really interesting company because they were only founded in 2019. So they're only three years old. So pretty young to be in the next tech titan category. But because they're growing so fast, they kind of leapfrogged the startup of the year category, which they were eligible for. And as judges, the judging committee decided to like, gosh, this company is so promising and growing so fast. We're, we're going to put them into the next tech Titan. So it was interesting to see a kind of an early stage company go into next tech Titan as quickly as they did. Next up is fabric and GeekWire podcast listeners will remember fabric from a recent episode. We had their CEO on talking about their whole approach to headless e-commerce as they call it, this whole idea of delivering the components of the e-commerce infrastructure to companies to implement with their own front end. This company fabric is our next finalist in the next tech Titan. So that's two. And Todd, what were your impressions after speaking to the CEO? Is this the real deal? Can they, can they make a big headway against like Shopify and Amazon? This is Fassel Masood who was on the show. And I have to say the fact that they did not even have to go out and solicit funding to end up with a new 140 million series C round at a valuation of $1.5 billion. I think that speaks for itself. Very fast growing company seems to be in a promising area if they can carve off some territory from the Shopify's and Amazon's of the world. All right, next up, Todd, let's do Carrot. That's Carrot with a K, K-A-R-A-T. I'm not sure if many of our listeners know about this company, but they're an interesting one that is basically a technical recruiting platform. I think it's a very interesting idea as this war for tech talent continues. It basically provides an efficient way for companies to test technical talent remotely and see if they are up to snuff to join the team. You can imagine the need for this with the uh, hiring demands by some of the large tech companies across the planet. That's right. And again, another unicorn, they raised $110 million back in October at a $1.1 billion valuation. So 
that's one thing that's interesting about the tech titan category these days is you do have these unicorns in there as extra validation of the fact that they're poised for something much bigger. And speaking of unicorns, company number four in the group is Highspot. This company raised $248 million earlier this year at a $3.5 billion valuation. So I think it's one of the larger unicorns running around the Seattle area. They're an enterprise software company, obviously an area that Seattle has deep expertise in. And essentially, they help salespeople do their jobs more efficiently and effectively. And you see a number of companies operating in this space of basically engaging salespeople in more creative ways. Again, another very fast-growing company led by Robert Wabe, the former Microsoft executive. And who knows who's going to win this category? And we've got one more, right, Todd? That's right. So the fifth finalist in Next Tech Titan in the upcoming GeekWire Awards is iSpot. And iSpot is a company that's been around for a while, but it's even more relevant now because of all the needs of advertising measurement. They specialize in TV advertising measurement and streaming ads. And this is an area where a lot of folks in business are looking for more and more data. And that is what iSpot is filling in terms of a niche. Right. And they've won some really big deals recently because Nielsen, their main rival, is essentially going through some rough patches. And NBC just chose iSpot. iSpot also has made some acquisitions recently. So I think they're a 10-year-old company, roughly. But it really seems like they're poised here in 2022 to emerge and perhaps become the dominant force in this area of measurement of digital and TV content and advertising. So it's an interesting space. It's a niche space, but there's there's big money in it, and they're making a move here in 2022. So those are the five finalists. It's going to be very hard for our community to pick a winner out of this group, I believe. So again, they're OctoML, Fabric, HighSpot, Carrot, and iSpot. High spot and eye spot. That's going to be tricky. We're going to have to okay. separate those. We'll, in the we'll separate those two. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And we should we should say that we actually, if people want to know more about eye spot, we're going to have Anthony Skinner, the chief technology officer at iSpot, on I think the upcoming podcast if schedules permit. So we can look for that about a week out. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Longtime technology executive here in the Seattle area. This is a uh, this is a tough group to uh, try to pick a winner, but that's what the GeekWire Awards is all about. And we're going to have all of the more than a dozen categories and all the finalists across those categories ready for the GeekWire community to start voting on early next week. So check that out. That's the GeekWire Awards coming up May 12th, presented by Astound Business Solutions. You can find out more at geekwire.com slash awards. And as John said, you can vote over all of these categories in the upcoming weeks on geekwire.com. All right. Looking forward to it. It's nice to have an in-person event back on the agenda. Thank you for listening, everybody. See the show notes for related links. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or go to geekwire.com slash podcast for more. Kurt Milton produces the show. Our music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.